0: John 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy in you may, sorry, I have told you this that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other.
1: Thanks for reading Peter and good morning once again. Well I'll never be able to read John chapter 15, this passage that Peter read to us and not think of Peter Cundall. Gardening Australia was one of those shows that was on TV, I think it was Friday night when I was growing up and as I understand it, Peter Kundal was the host of Gardening Australia for nearly 20 years. I think he was the host for a full 19 years. Peter Kundal and gardening are kind of stitched together in my mind, so much that I think if trees could talk, that have the accent of Peter Kundal. Chapter 15, it, it contains, doesn't it, a really vivid image or metaphor of gardening. But it's not a, a decorative garden, a flower bed or something like that. Rather, the setting is a vineyard. And despite being the dominant metaphor in the text, these words are not lifted from a horticultural textbook, not by any stretch. Indeed, the, the meaning or the purpose of this passage, this text, has nothing to do with gardening, really, does it? Instead, this chapter is a powerful encouragement for the disciples of Jesus to stick with him. It's about the inseparable connection that Jesus' disciples should have with him. And so although I kind of see Peter Kundle in this passage, I also have the words of a Leor song going around the back of my head that says something like this, I'm stuck on you like chewing gum on the sole of my shoe. If you know that song, it has nothing to do with this passage, but that line sort of rungs in the back of my head. Because here's the big idea, stick with Jesus. Stick with him even though the very next morning he's going to be dead on the cross. And yet this passage, although Jesus is speaking in it, he's not being egocentric here. He's not trying to G up support from his disciples. There's a purpose behind why disciples would stick with Jesus. And the purpose is that they might produce good fruit. And the production of good fruit brings glory to the Father. That's what this passage is about. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you might remember that this section of John, chapters 13 to 17, they take place the night before Jesus dies. It seems that they, most of this ch- these chapters uh, take place over an evening meal that we today call the Last Supper. When we get to the end of chapter 14, right at the very end, we read Jesus say, come now, let us leave. So, so perhaps they've already left the upper room where they were having that meal. Maybe they were saying... Maybe Jesus was saying these words in chapter 15 while they were walking out of the house. Or maybe they ended up just staying a little longer. Perhaps they had someone who took a little bit longer to get ready to leave. Maybe you've got a person like that in your house. It probably doesn't really matter where they were. But what does matter is that this is the night before Jesus goes to the cross to die. Jesus knows what's happening as well. He makes that super clear from the preceding few chapters. These words are part of his last instructions to his disciples. And what does he want them to do? What does he want them to know when he's going to be dead in the next few hours? Here's his encouragement. Keep on going. Be productive. Don't just drift off into obscurity. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a moment if you were them. If you saw your master, if you saw your Lord, your king dead on a cross surely the natural response would be to kind of slink away quietly into the night and just hope no one would notice you anymore. Maybe you'd be thinking, I just want to forget the previous three years of hanging out with this man. He's now dead on the cross. Maybe you just want to mark off these last three years as a, as a phase and, and get on with the next thing in life. And Jesus says, don't do that. I want you to bear much fruit. I want you to bring glory to the Father. And the only way to do that is to stick with me to remain in him to be in union with him let me show you where this comes from um, have a look at the start of john chapter 15 if you've got a, a bible or an electronic version open it up or it's going to come on the screen behind me as well this is the start of chapter 15 that peter just read to us jesus says i am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. do you notice, this is one of those I am sayings of Jesus. And it's an interesting one as well because... It's it's kind of qualified. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's never said that kind of thing. He's never qualified those sayings with the other one. He didn't, for example, say, I am the the crusty bread or the, the chewy bread or the squeaky gate. But here he says, He is the true vine. And he's doing that, I think, because he's trying to set up a contrast between himself and another vine, a vine that never lived up to expectations. That might not make much sense for us this morning, but for the original readers of John's gospel, the mention of a vine, I think that had an unmistakable meaning for them. They equated the idea of a vine with the nation of Israel. If you want to see this clearly, we can see that in Isaiah chapter 5. I think Hamish can put it on the screen for you. We read this. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in him. and he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness but heard cries of distress so when we read vineyard we should be thinking of the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines that God delighted in and yet back in Isaiah's time when God looked for good fruit on the vine well he never really saw it all he saw was distress and bloodshed and those sorts of things And so here comes Jesus, and he says, I am the true vine. I am the one who represents Israel, the one who will finally live up to the expectations of what Israel might have been. And for us today, I want us to see this is really good news for us. See, if Jesus is the true vine, that means that God's chosen people, well, that now has not much to do with, A geographical location or an ethnic heritage rather the true people of israel are those who are connected to jesus and for us here in australia that's that's really good news isn't it because we're about as far away as you can get from geographical location with israel and we're a fair way most of us in terms of ethnicity also and yet that doesn't matter because the true vine is jesus and he's encouraging us this morning to be connected to him. Now, if you're here today and you don't know what it means to be connected to Jesus, I'd love to talk with you more about that, perhaps over a coffee this morning, because really the whole of John's Gospel, that chapter, we just read a chapter of it this morning, the whole of John's Gospel is written in order that you might know Jesus as the Messiah so that you'd want to be connected with him, so that you'd get connected with him. this particular section though is his instructions to his disciples before he goes to his death now as i said before this chapter always makes me think of peter cundall or maybe sophie thompson or if you're an abc radio listener perhaps you think of the voice of john lamb as you read this section because the metaphor is very powerful isn't it gardening and a vineyard do you notice that it's actually not jesus who's the gardener but rather it's the father it's the father who's the, the viticulturalist, whose job it is is, help, is to develop a productive vine. And if you've ever been to a vineyard or seen vineyard workers, you'll see that one of the things that they have in their arsenal in order to generate more produ- producti- productivity is pruning and lopping and trimming and shaping vines. And if we see ourselves in the passage here, and in many ways this isn't a very pleasant image, is it? Some branches are chopped right off, and even the productive ones are pruned to an extent. I take it what Jesus is saying here is that even for those of us who are producing fruit, there will be discipline in the Christian life. You know, as South Australians, I think we get this idea because we're part of the, one of the greatest wine-growing regions in the whole of the world. I wonder if you know, though, that during the 1980s, the government actually paid viticulturalists to pull out vineyards. It was known as the vine Pull scheme. And it was done in order to remove unproductive vines and replace them with other crops. These first few verses of this chapter tell us that Jesus is the true vine and that by being in him we might produce fruit, And that the father, the viticulturist, will prune the vine, making it more productive. This is a chapter about the fruitfulness of the Christian life. And it's through sticking in the vine, with the vine, that we will indeed live a fruitful life. In fact, remaining in the vine is the only way in which we'll be able to produce fruit. Verse 5 tells us that really clearly. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that we bear fruit by remaining connected to Jesus, by being in union with him. Horticulturally, the fruit-bearing tendrils of the vine, well, they need the supporting branches and the trunk and the roots of the vine and the life-flowing sap and the nutrients that come through those parts. And so it is with us. We need the life-giving force of Jesus if we're to bear fruit. And just to make sure that we really understand that, have a look with me about how verse 5 ends. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't want us to skip over that this morning, because Jesus is not saying, apart from me, you won't have a whole lot of success in life. You won't be quite as fruitful as if you were with me. No, he's actually saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know all of you this morning, but I know many of you, and I know many of you are successful and resilient and agile and skillful and adept, and, and many of you are achievers and succeeders by nature. And so I want you to hear this this morning. When it comes to bearing fruit that brings the Father glory, we can do Nothing if we're not united with jesus we must stick with him here's the reality for us today there is no pleasing the father apart from being in the Son. there's no way to be fruitful in a way that brings god glory other than being in union with jesus we can't do it on our own you might be able to rise up in your career you might be able to win some sporting tournaments You might marry a cute woman, but by worldly standards, although that might seem enough. But unless you're united with Jesus, the fruit that God cares about just won't be there. And at this point you might then be beginning to wonder kind of how does this metaphor kind of translate into the practical? What is the fruit then that, that Jesus is encouraging us to bear? Wonder how you'd encourage uh, answer that question what is the fruit that jesus is encouraging us to bear in this passage the text doesn't really say does it jesus doesn't directly answer that question maybe you think the fruit is is helping people come to know jesus maybe the fruit is then about winning souls for the glory of the father i think some parts of the bible would suggest that yes that is part of the fruit But I think there's more to it than just that, isn't there? I think it's also about obedience. It's about listening and hearing the words of Jesus and being shaped by them and and changed by those words. In other words, the fruit will involve a changed character. We'll see shortly that at least it will mean that we'll become more loving as people, more loving towards each other, more loving towards other disciples. I think the rest of the New Testament would also help us to see that, that fruitfulness includes things like joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There's a number of different sorts of fruit. I like what Don Carson says here. I am going put it on the screen for you. He says, This fruit is nothing less, nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his or her witness. It's all-encompassing, isn't it? Well, so far I hope you've found this to be encouraging. See, we can be part of the true people of God by being united with Jesus. And if we stick with Him, if we're united with Him, then we'll bear fruit that's pleasing to God the Father. But There's also a warning in this passage, isn't there? if you noticed that as peter read it to us i think the gist of the warning is something like this press on in the faith press on in your walk with jesus produce fruit and here's the warning don't drift don't drift away from jesus because it's only when we're connected with him that fruit will grow now i wanted to bring my canoe in this morning um To talk about drifting with you but the reality is i can't lift my canoe on my own it's just too big it's too bulky too heavy and too hard to bring in i brought my canoe paddle in but um just to give you the flavor um i've got a bit of image on the screen of mike and i canoeing from when we did this last year at church amy shouldn't pop that up for me i just want you to notice like it's a tiny little canoe with two relatively large people You catch the wind in a canoe, and like nothing else, you drift, don't you? I think canoes really help us to feel that sense of what it means to drift. I tell you this, because I think canoeing is a lot of fun, and I actually have a little battery motor that I can put on my canoe, and it kind of hangs over the side, and we took it to Kangaroo Island with us last year when we went, and from the canoe... And my kids were able to catch some squid. I've got a picture of Gus, just to show you, catching a squid. But on the day when Gus caught this squid, there was also a bit of an offshore breeze. And at one point while we were fishing, the line from the fishing line that was supposed to be catching squid somehow managed to wrap itself around the propeller of this battery motor. And so the motor just stopped working. Now, there was an offshore breeze. We were out, fairway off the beach... And the wind was just pushing the canoe further and further out to sea. Now, of course, we had our paddles with us and so we were able to paddle back to safety. But but here's the thing, when you drift in a canoe or in life, rarely do you drift in the direction that you want to go. It never seems to me that when something goes wrong in the canoe that the wind is blowing us nicely back into the beach. It always seems to be pushing us further away out to sea. And I think this is true of the Christian life as well. Unless we actively remain in Jesus, my hunch is that we're unlikely to drift towards him. And it seems that Jesus knew this, and so here's his encouragement to his disciples, remain in me as I remain in you. And just in case you missed the warning in this passage, let me read to you from verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. See, rarely in the the Christian life do we find ourselves to be more connected with Jesus, more fruitful, more productive, when we stop doing the things that connect us to him, like going to church, or spending time in prayer, or, or listening to music that points us to the truths of the gospel. When life gets tough or busy or complicated or hard, I reckon the tendency when we stop doing those things is that we drift away. And Jesus knows this because the disciples are about to experience a really tough thing in their life. Their leader is about to be killed. And so Jesus says, Stick with me. Remain in me. Verse 3, I think, helps us to see the central, word of, central role of Jesus' word in our lives here. Now, here's an encouragement for you. Are you reading and hearing those words, the words of Jesus? Well, let's move on. Verses 9 to 17 in our passage are, in many ways, a, a commentary about the parable that we've just read. Um, and where the metaphor of the vine falls down is that it fails to really explain the relationship between the branches and the vine because that relationship's not indifferent, not by any way. It's personal, and it's based on a sense of mutual love. Let me read to you from verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in His love. So just as the Father has loved the son so the son loves the disciples there's really a neat symmetry going on here isn't there a play of love between the father of the son and the son and the disciples and the symmetry extends to the way in which we stay in that love the son keeps the father's commands and remains in the father's love the disciples are to keep the son's command and remain in his love this is what fruitfulness looks like doesn't it keeping the commands of Jesus and so staying in his love. And what is it that Jesus commands? Well, come down to verse 12 in the passage with me. He says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, we've seen this idea before over the last few weeks, haven't we? It's there in chapter thirteen verse thirty four a new command I give to you love one another. love is I think the golden thread that just winds its way through these middle chapters of John. I want you to take a moment and just look around the room see who's here today. and my question for you is this: do you love the people who you see? Now, some might look a little more easy to love than others. Some might actually be a little easier to love than others. But here are Jesus' words to his disciples. And I take it that means he's speaking to us here today as well. Love each other as I have loved you. How does he love us? Well, he says is the greatest example of love is that we'd lay down our life for one's friends. Now, these words are, of course, the words of Jesus, but for many Australians, they're perhaps more famous for being the words that are inscribed on countless war memorials around the country. They're written on the stone of remembrance that's housed in the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne. I've got a photo of it on the screen Hamish can put it up for me. The stone is sunk down below the floor level so that to read it you have to bow your head down to do that. And it's been cleverly placed in this Shrine of Remembrance and aligned with a, with a hole in the roof so that at 11am on the 11th of November the sunlight through the hole in the roof falls on the word love. Or at least it did before Daylight Savings. And they had to put a mirror in somehow to make it work properly. I suspect that many who see this stone fail to recognise that these words were originally the words of Jesus. But not only are they the words of Jesus, but they are the words that he spoke, knowing full well what would happen the very next day. That is, that he would indeed lay down his life as an act of love. And I want you to see, this is who Jesus is. He loved his disciples and he loved them to the end, even if it meant laying down his life for them. And this is the same Jesus who says, you are my friends if you do what I command. What does he command? Love each other as I have loved you. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, look around the room again if you're not sure. It's hard. Love each other as I have loved you. I wonder what makes it harder for you to do. Maybe it's hard to love people when they ignore you. Maybe it's hard to love others when it seems like everyone else just seems to get a slightly easier ride. Maybe it's hard to love others when when everyone else just seems to have slightly better things like a, a better car or a better house or a better caravan or a better school or a better sense of dress. Loving each other is hard, isn't it? It might seem impossibly hard. So, how do we deal with that? What do we do? Well, the answer is in the text, isn't it? The answer is in being connected to Jesus. Only by being united with Him do we have any hope in this. Stick with Jesus and bear good fruit because we need his nourishment and his support and the life-giving strength and energy of the true vine in order to do these things when it seems hard here's jesus encouragement stick with me remain in me i think there's one other encouragement in this passage and it's down in verse 16 I hope it's great of great comfort to you because jesus is saying to his disciples and i take it applicable to us today that he chose them for this task let me read from verse 16 you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name the father will give you this is my command love each other If you're a disciple of Jesus today, I hope you're able to see the comfort in these verses, knowing that Jesus has chosen you for this task of loving each other. Our salvation, our place in the Father's home, if you remember back a few weeks, that's not up for debate here. If you remember back in, back, uh, in the book of Ephesians, we looked at that as a church a few months back. There we learned that we were chosen before the creation of the world. That even though we were dead in our sinfulness, God made us alive because of his great love for us. And back in John, we have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit that will last. To be those who will love each other. To be those who will grow to be more like Jesus. We need to stick with him, don't we? We need to remain in him hearing his words, listening and obeying his commands. Don't forget the lesson of the canoe. If we don't work on this, we'll drift. And it's very unlikely that we'll drift towards a better relationship with Jesus. Stick with him is his encouragement. And bear fruit. Love each other as Jesus loves. Because these are the things that bring the Father glory. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we are chosen, chosen to bear good fruit. Thank you for the encouragement of Jesus, that in the tough times, and the difficult times, that we would stick with him. May we also do it in the good times. Please be at work in us, that we, as individuals and as a church, would bear much fruit, and in doing so, bring glory to the Father.
0: Amen.